Welcome everyone to the Social Living Podcast. We are now on episode 10. Episode 10. We are now in double figures, man. Yeah, we're man. Double we're, figures. We're, we're there. The progress. Yeah. Trust me, it's my progress. Like that's like that's 10 in the bag. If if mm. if if I if we scored a goal every week, that's I'm on I'm on I'm on course to get the golden boot. So um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying to get we're trying to get that on podcast terms, you know. So yeah, man, big up number ten, man. Um, is there any any meanings out there for you? Number ten. Um, and okay, when I think of ten, I'm gonna stay stay away from football, and I'm gonna <laughs> stay I'm gonna stay away from football and into politics. And when when okay. when I think of ten. 10 Downing Street comes ahead and that's okay. only because of what happened over the last 18 months with COVID and how 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 much I've been paying attention to politics because before before COVID COVID hit I would not have heard Boris Johnson speak at all or paid any attention to what he's been saying but I feel like the whole COVID situation has made, has made me pay more attention to to what's been going on, who's running our countries, and decisions that have come from it. But yeah, this, so are, are, you, are you saying? Are you saying this might be off a piece a little bit? But are you saying that COVID has helped you become more in tune with what's happening and how our country is being run? No, for sure, for sure. Because yeah. you, you, COVID's put us all in a position where. The government are di- basically dictating our lives in terms of maybe the furlough scheme, um, rest- restrictions. So yeah, it, we went. We've been forced into. We've they forced our hand really to to pay more attention to what they're saying, and but yeah, kind of obliged by that as well. This this, this could easily go into into the into the um episode we had last week about conspiracies and, and all that as well. So <laughs> I'm trying to stay clear of that, but no, nah, they definitely have definitely have made us all pay more attention to them. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, um, I can definitely agree to that. Uh, I feel like as I got older, I've been listening more to like um like things like BBC Five and um what was it BBC Radio Five. Uh, and mm-hmm. LBC, just like listening to certain conversations. I think the situation around Brexit was probably my entry point into like really paying attention in terms of what's what's happening in 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 our country. You know what affects mm-hmm. it, uh, you know things are happening. So I've always tried to keep my ear um, towards the Brexit situation. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Like, yeah, number ten down the street, yeah. And if you're from any other country, number ten down the street is obviously where um, our prime minister lives. So that's like the equivalent of like the White House for Joe Biden yeah. over in over in the US. So um, yeah. yeah, that's 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 a good one. Still, you know what? For me, mm-hmm. what about you? Yeah, what's it? What's it for yeah. you? For me, I, I I'm going with football this week. Uh, I okay, think it's quite fitting. Yeah, switcheroo because it's quite fitting with with today's guest topic. You see, so I thought, mm. you know what, number ten, um, and you know what, I'm just going to go straight there with the players. So for me, when I think number ten, I automatically just go to Ronaldinho, and like mm. for me. 
when I was growing up, Ronaldinho was one of two of the most influential players for me. You know, like I could appreciate, I could appreciate like your Zidane's and stuff like that. Where Zidane early on in his career, I probably didn't see as much, but but like I felt like I saw the whole of Ronaldinho. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I feel like it just influenced the way I played football, my style. Definitely. I I didn't think I I didn't do any tricks before Ronaldinho came into the picture. He just made tricks look so cool. Mm. Yeah, Ronaldinho, I think he just he made football look enjoyable. He turned yeah. he, he he turned what was a serious game into a game of just banter, really. And the way he used to mock players is yeah, it's, it's an absolute joke. But um, yeah, he's yeah, he's, like, he's a goat man. He's he's up there. He's up there with the Ronaldo and and um Messi's because yeah, the stuff he used to do on a pick was, pitch was unheard of. Yeah, and like you know what, like it's the pure. It's the creativity, you know, because there was it was like entertainment when you're watching it. You know, like mm. I feel like he's a little bit different to Messi and Ronaldo simply because I think, you know, with Ronaldo, with Messi, like they're obviously the best players that we've ever seen touch the earth. Um, but in terms of entertainment and joy, I feel like, you know, Ronaldinho gave me more of that, you know. Like, he wasn't always so serious and he would just go and enjoy. And it was like, literally like how maybe all of us or most of us, how we go, how we enter into football was that joy is that, you know, you play mm-hmm. with a smile on your face. It's not always so serious, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, when I play football sometimes and I, I, I assume a lot of players go through this is that, you know, you want to feel like you're playing with your friends. You know, you don't want to feel like it's a job. And um, I feel like when you think of joy in football, you're going to think, you know, Ronaldinho. I think there there might be a few players out there now who play with a smile on their face, but I don't think anyone's ever done it as good as as good as Ronaldinho. No, I think, yeah, talk, talking about now as well, I think that, there might be a handful of players that you you can visually see them playing with a smile on their face. If any games yeah. change and it's a lot more serious and you don't see that enjoyment as you used to back in the day with the likes of Ronaldinho, like Zidane blessing the pitch. You just yeah, you just don't see that anymore. It just shows how how the game has developed over time. But yeah, Ronaldinho yeah. needs his flowers. He needs his flowers ASAP. One hundred percent, man. One hundred percent. So yeah, man. For me, number ten. 10 episode, this is the Ronaldinho episode. But um kind of moving moving on to like the the whole topic of this this podcast, man. I feel like Jamal, you're you're gonna be put in the in the hot seat today. This yeah, is man, this, this, one's on me. this one's dedicated on me. this one's dedicated to you, man. Let's I really wanna like, you know, really dissect your journey to where you got to now. Like Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a really credible story and I think that um it's one that needs to be told and um we're going to do our best to kind of go through that. So the title of this podcast today of course is how to go from a pro footballer to a career in social media marketing. Um that mm-hmm. in itself must be, you know, some people might think oh like 
how do you do that you know uh I, and mm. i feel like in today's day and age now as well you, you know social media is so widely used so there's probably a lot of footballers who feel like they could probably make that transition quite easy but in yeah. terms of like the lower uh, end of the spectrum in being that you know playing your you know your professional footballer but you're like you're down in the lower ranks. You're not like playing for Arsenal. When you leave Arsenal, you have like may have loads of options. This is like uh-huh. you know your League Ones, your League Twos, your 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 conference. Um, it's kind of really you know down in the gutter and trying to make things work. Um, and yeah, I want you to kind of just give an insight into what you went through, uh, and you know if there's anything that we can uncover and share that can help somebody else. I want that, I definitely want that to be heard. So um Yeah, definitely definitely. Like my yeah, my my journey hasn't it hasn't really been told and even to like those around me, I bet I don't really touch on it. So yeah, it's gonna be an interesting episode. But I hope it is yeah. anyway. <laughs> let's let's take it right back. So um obviously surprise, surprise, you were a professional footballer, right? So yeah. you know this is this is many 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 millions of kids <laughs> millions of kids this is their dream right and and you've achieved something that many haven't you know there's loads mm-hmm. of uncles and dads who'll be like yeah i could have made it but i broke my leg or i had this injury yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's you know, the story <laughs> the story mm. <laughs> there's a lot of thought there, but you actually got your professional contract so um Let's 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 talk about the lead up to that. Let's talk about your entry point into football first. Like we did just speak about Ronaldinho. So let's let's talk about like your entry point into football. How were you encouraged? You know, what 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 kind of made you get into football in the first place? So like if you strip it way, way back, I probably started playing football when I was four or five. Um it was a case of my dad taking me to my local club, which is Abbey Rovers. Um, initially started off, I wasn't in. I wasn't in like the best team. They done the team structure was by colours, so I think reds may have been like the best team, and then it was blues, so and so so, and I was like greens, which is might be in the fourth team, and then so yeah, I was just playing, enjoying it as a youngster, as as youngsters do. Um, I'd say I got to what age? About year four. Year four, year five, where I started, where I started to understand football a bit more, and I noticed that I had a bit of a bit of ability. I was was on a different level to, compared to the the level I was playing at. Was like the fourth team in my local football club. Um, I think it was at that point that I started to move up the ranks within Abbey Mead, um, and then I started playing for my school as well, and then I started attracting attention from Cheltenham. I ended up having a, a trial at Cheltenham. Um, yeah, this was my year five. Year do, you know five what, year do, you know, do you know what league Cheltenham Town were in at that time? Ooh, I want to say League Two. League Two, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a League yeah, Two. I want to say long. League Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I had, um, had a trial at Cheltenham. But it was a strange one because normally at that age, you have a maybe a month's long trial. But my my trial period lasted a a year, I think. Yeah, yeah, almost. I was just in it like 
they they kept prolonging it. I don't think they they saw enough, or they might saw a bit of my ability, but they didn't see enough of it. And that their decision making process last last the season at the end of the season, they said, okay, cool, we want to sign you. But during during that season, um, I also had Gloucester Primary Schools, which was my local um school football foundation. I think might be the best way to call it, where you um count your city or your town will have a a a best 11 in year six or a best squad of people. There was an A and a B team. I was in the A team. And you'd go off and play other different counties within within England, which was, yeah, looking back on my like my footballing career, that was one of the best experiences I've, I've had. I was able to travel through football, um, play against some 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 decent names. I found out the other day, who was it? Ah, Casey. I found out I played against Casey Palmer. Um, when I was playing against, I think I was playing against Lewisham, and he he was playing for Lewisham Lewisham at the time. I only found out that about two weeks ago. But yeah, these these names that you you didn't really realize who you're playing against, but that was their level. The um the the primary schools um foundation was that, and it was that it was then when I really kind of honed in into my my style of play and the way I wanted to play football um Gloucester Gloucester Primary Schools kind of looked at me differently than Cheltenham looked at me um I was a I was a number nine I was like a a target man imagine a target man at at year six yeah madness madness but that was that was that that was what I was a bit chunky my mum was feeding me probably too many dumplings and I can salt fish but I just made I made I made do I made do um Yeah, so at that time, Gloucester Primary Schools was going well, but Cheltenham, my position at Cheltenham was right on the fringes, I guess. And it wasn't until I had that season with Gloucester Primary School that kind of gave me the confidence to go into Cheltenham and start start pushing on. Um, so that's that's year yeah, six, so, and then so let's wait. Let's just quickly just like have an overlook of that. So you're so this is all like year six, right? This has all happened mm-hmm. basically before the age of before the age of 12. And you've mm-hmm. mentioned a couple of things there. You've mentioned that, you know, you've kind of gone through not maybe sticking out so early on, like you're not like standing out, sorry. Um, mm. You know, you're paying for fourth team for Abbey Mead, you're going through, but you're just being consistent with it. You're still playing and you're enjoying it. And then mm-hmm. you kind of decide to, you know, understand the game a little bit better. You're probably obviously getting some good coaching you get end up playing for I, I don't know if I should call it your district, but like obviously the best players from all the primary schools in the Gloucestershire. I think it's a borough, so it's the city of Gloucester borough, and you end up playing for the 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 primary schools. So it's like it's almost like feeling like you've been selected for your national team. Um, yeah, yeah, on, like, it was it was very similar. <laughs> like on your on a primary school level, because um, I, I obviously I remember watching you um mm. back in those days and and it was like there was always that like, rumors of different players like, oh this guy's good this guy's good this guy's already on the books over here and there was all this already mm. you know um at mm. such a young age and obviously you said that you got to travel can you just touch on like maybe some of the places that you had to travel and also like how were you getting to these places was it mum was it dad was it you know was it abby mead was it the coaches this is like, a, yeah this this is a good topic, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, places we traveled. Um, so we traveled as far as Jersey, Isle of Wight, Isle of Man, and then within within the UK as well. But yeah, it was just just places I've never been to, um, until that point. But then yeah, how how I get to games is an important one because I feel like with a lot of um minorities or disadvantaged kids, travel is probably one of the hardest bits of playing football, progressing with football. My dad worked around the clock, so he he used to take me to football when he can, when he could, sorry. But apart from that, a lot of the time I relied on friends or the other players' parents to get to and from football. And with I can I can literally think of all the all the parents that used to take me to football within my career. But um yeah. It it was definitely a shared experience in terms in terms of travel. What's that? You're obviously giving thanks and you're grateful for all those people that was able to kind of take you to football. Um, and definitely, I, I definitely. I'm sure there was like car sharing going on and, and mm. things like that, um, or carpooling, I think they called it. So, mm. you know, that's good. So you got to know the country a little bit and you're already, this is already at 12 years old. That's a lot. Mm. And that's an achievement in itself. Even if your career stopped there, you could say like, you know what, football... I was really good and it's taken me to different places already. So I guess now you're about to enter like secondary school and then obviously puberty kicked in, there's growth, there's all this stuff now. So like, let's mm-hmm. dive into that, that, that time of your life and your footballing career and what your yes. aspirations are as well. No, that's imp- it's important that you mentioned puberty because yeah, year seven, year eight, I went from being quite, Quite stocky to string bean lads. <laughs> I was probably one of the skinniest, skinniest boys in my in my year. But it was it yeah. was to my advantage because I was able to I became more lightweight, more agile, quicker, and I was able to use that um to my advantage. But I also had kind of like the know-how of um maybe like holding the ball up when I was a bit more chubbier and and taking contact a bit um a bit better, which which the other kids maybe didn't didn't have didn't really have that experience at that age um so yeah I kind of it kind of made me wrap like maybe round my game more so earlier on in my career but um yeah I guess year seven year eight I'm going into school football that was I was yeah if I'm honest I was a boy like everyone knew me for football I didn't do anything else great time my half hour break I was there with the tennis ball in the tennis school Running, running around people, nutmegs, everything, flip flaps, mashing up my school shoes. My dad, my dad was, my dad was being vexed. Even now, as a parent, I used, I'm thinking, boy, when he get when a lad gets to school and he's going through a pair of school shoes every term, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna add up. It's gonna add up. But what me playing, I didn't think of that. Even my dad even used to tell me, bring school, bring trainers, just bring trainers. And I still didn't listen. I didn't put the trainers on. I was still, I was still playing football in my school shoes. But um, yeah, that's that's what I was known for. I was known as the footballer, and that's all. That's all I really, I kept, really cared about throughout yeah, school. Yeah. Um, I did, I did focus on my education. Like I left school with good, with good GCSEs, but my my main focus was football, and that's all I did. I kept didn't speak to girls. I didn't care about girls. I didn't care about going out. Um, just wanted to focus on football, and and it wasn't up until maybe year ten. It wasn't something I took too seriously it was just something that I knew I was good at and um yeah I just enjoyed playing and then it got to year 10 year 11 and you start thinking about okay what what do I want to do next like what do I want to do after school and it was at that point that um 
they the government announced that uh they moved the so once you finish school you still have to stay within education but before that you could leave school at 16 and and that was it so everyone yeah, yeah. had to think about everyone had to think about their options at that moment in time and mm. whilst everyone was thinking about um college or sixth form that wasn't really in my mind that's when I thought right I'm I want a scholarship like, I'm at Cheltenham at the moment I'd even say up until year nine I still was in the fringes I wasn't I was I wasn't the, the main guy at Cheltenham just because yeah. of the, the caliber of player they had at the, at the time and when I think back, it was probably down to like growth spurts. A lot of the the players that were doing well had their growth spurts early, early, and I was still lagging behind. I was still quite scrawny and small. Um, yeah, up in, so it was only up until like year ten, year eleven that I started taking football a bit seriously and wanting to 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 get that scholarship. So again, yeah, I just started just practice, practice, practice. Me and my brother in the in the garden on the landing in the house, wherever, in the park. We just used to spend our entire free time just kicking a ball about. And what what at the time we probably didn't realise, but that's that was like compounding. Every every time we were playing, it was just compounding that experience, touch getting better. And yeah, over the two year period that uh, we ended I ended up getting offered a scholarship for the two years at Cheltenham. Um yeah, looking I was gonna say, so okay. the the year that you get offered your 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 scholarship, did you like were you confident you were gonna get it? And then was there anybody? How many others got it? And how many out of how many group of boys? Just so we can get a ratio in terms of, um, you know how lucky you were, or like mm. not how lucky you obviously definitely deserved it, but like just to give the ratios out there because you know a lot of people go in. They join clubs and they just feel like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get this, you know, but not knowing the odds are already against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, the num- it's good that you've mentioned this because I'll, I'll mention it in, um, in a bit about ratio um, and, and, and the likeliness of people turning pro. But um, yeah, so in terms of like the year 11 squad, there's probably a squad of maybe 15, 16 players. And out of that, five or six got scholars. So, yeah, um, what's that, like 30%? 30% of the players. Yeah. Which isn't a lot, if you think about it. Because at, at yeah. that time, we, all of us would have been focused on getting a scholarship. And for those that didn't get it, it must have felt like the world crashed a bit and they had to then look at um, other alternatives. But what, okay, just to talk about what I didn't like about that situation and what clubs can do better is to maybe make that decision about who they're going to keep on early on. Because it was it was pretty late if, um, from what I can remember. I was offered a scholarship. Oh, it might have been maybe like March time. And that that's late in terms of... Towards the end of the season, man. Yeah, it's towards yeah. the end of the season. And, and in the actual school year, you're, you're in your, your, your knees deep in exams and... And your focus is exams. So if you get told bad news during that time, it's, it, it can throw people off, which affects affects their future. So, yeah, advice advice for clubs is to make that decision earlier because they they would know before Christmas. So make that decision before Christmas, just to help those that aren't that aren't getting scholarships. That's a, yeah, yeah that's, we, a, that's fair enough advice. I think I, I'm trying to think of it from the 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 club's point of view as well in terms of like preparation for the next season 
and what they feel like they might need and who they feel like might be long term. Because mm-hmm. you know, from Christmas, you might see someone really grow, especially with dealing with kids here. Like you might see someone really grow in that last six months or three months mm-hmm. of the winter of the of the of the season. So it's like I don't know if it's always going to be as clear cut. Because I've seen players really just step up and then they kick on and then it but it was like it like they just find their feet and they start to get a level of understanding. And like sometimes that click doesn't always happen straight away in the season. You know, I feel like if you get a whole full season, you got a better idea as as opposed to just half a season. Mm. Now you're you're probably right. You're probably right, but then there's also an issue at the moment in terms of like player well-being and how you look after the players because this is it's, it's stuff like this that that clubs have to start taking into consideration about yeah, the players yeah. that aren't 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 their go-tos are kind of disregarded but they still have a life to live afterwards so it's just yeah. about how we manage manage it all as as so that just people in general are better off whether they get scholarships or get pros or are released just look after them a bit better because we're touch we're touching that as well about being released and my situation around that and yeah how yeah, yeah. how you left but um yeah to to jump back into it um so yeah I was offered offered a scholarship at Cheltenham for two years um started started preseason flying like I think everyone was shocked how well I started preseason um the gaffer at the time was Mark Yates the first team gaffer. And he took a liking to me, and which is quite rare so early on, um, especially in my first, especially in my first year as a scholar. Um, yeah, I don't know how many goals or assists I had during that career, which is quite bad. But it was it was a decent amount for a first year because you don't in a first year you don't really expect too much in terms of one in terms of starting every game, which I did. Normally you're in and out because the second year is kind of take priority. But um, yeah. well, yeah, okay. One in terms of starting, and two in, in uh, I guess like ROI and like return on, return on like in terms of goals and assists, which was yeah, which was good. Um, I had injuries through through that as well, which was which was tough. Being a young player, it's, it's hard to know what to do with injuries and when to play through it, and and what what the situation is around injuries, especially if you get injured and then you get back and you're trying to get back in the team and then you can't get back into the team. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of understanding that's needed that you go through that you don't really at the time you just think, oh the manager's being an idiot, but this that's part of the game. Like you you Look soon realise that when you go into men's football is ruthless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just it that's really just is. part of it. It really is. I was yeah, going to ask you. So, when when you when you were injured, um, do you feel like did you feel like you had a lot of support? Because um, obviously, I'm assuming you obviously you're at a pro club, so you're getting obviously specialists to see you. Um, where like obviously, I, I heard you had like an Achilles injury, um, mm-hmm. and you know, like from the outside looking in, like you got a lot of support. But do you feel like mentally you were supported as well as physically as well? I didn't even touch on my injuries, you know. That's yeah, I, I skipped I skipped that. So during my youth team career, so throughout my school years, I had um Achilles tendonitis, which is a, like growing ish growing pains within your Achilles. So I was out for all in all for about a year. 
And then year nine, year 10, I also had a an abnormal bone cyst grow in my tibia, I want to call it, um, which then needed surgery. So then I was out for another six months. But um, yeah, just to, just to talk about whilst I was a scholar about support, um, yeah, in terms of like physically, it was, it's a, it was a pro club and they had the youth team physio and the first team physio as well as like specialists if they needed it and needed it. And physically, they were fine. Um, they we had rehab programs which we do every day. The physio was there to support us. Um, if there was other injured players, they'd be around us with us as well. Uh, first team as well, we'd all we'd all do rehab together which helps. But in terms of like that mental aspect, um, I don't think that was addressed at that time. It was only, I'd only say recently in the past, maybe three or four years that players have started to open up about their mental health during um, times that they were injured, like the likes of Chad Wilshaw, um, Aaron Ramsey, like those, those guys are sort of speaking out about it. But whilst, whilst um, I was, this was like 2014, 2000, yeah, 2013, 2014, there was there was no talk about mental health within football wasn't wasn't spoken about as much as it is now. Um, so yeah, I guess there wasn't that support there in terms of in terms of mental well being. But um, okay. we've spoken about this before, but that's definitely something that should be addressed in terms of having a physical therapist in terms of a physio, but also having a med a mental um, therapist, if you want to call it a mental mental health expert to to go alongside that just so that players are looked after because I've seen it I've seen stories over the last three or four years about players with depression players that have committed suicide there was a guy from Forest Green Rovers I want to say last year or the start of this year that um, took his own life but um, yeah it's just that making sure there's support for those guys Um, there's also that guy young guy from Man City as well that got released about a year ago and he ended, he ended up taking his own life. But yeah, it's just that having that support there because it's tough well, and it can be quite an isolating thing. Yeah, of course, Sorry. of course. I completely understand. And I was I was going to ask, so like specifically to you, did you feel like mental health was a thing then? Or like, um, like were you aware, like did you feel like you were vulnerable at any point? Like if you were like injured or not in a team or anything like that? Or was it just like, you felt like you had the mental capacity and you just, you had a clear vision and you were just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just take, once I get my chance, I'm just going to take it kind of thing. And when that, yeah, when it was that, like that. I, yeah, it was, I just, I just kind of thought, oh, I'm injured. This is part of football. I'll get back eventually. I get that. I guess that could be quite naive of me um, because some people have longer injury spells or, or don't end up going back when they do go back they're not the same but fortunately my injuries wasn't too severe but um I guess meant I guess in terms of football and mental health I didn't probably experience that until I was a pro obviously through through your youth team career you have ups and downs you're in form and out of form and the mental side of that which is I think is a good thing because like it's, it's life lessons at the end of the day like if life doesn't just go smoothly, you're going to have good days, bad days, things go wrong, things go right. And it's just about adapting and, and building that mental, that mental capacity, like, like you said. But um, yeah, in terms of mental health, I probably didn't experience that as a footballer until I was a pro. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, definitely. Interesting, interesting. So, yeah. All right, so, 
I was gonna like I'm gonna quickly just kind of speed up a little bit. So mm. um obviously you've had your two years uh as a as a scholar towards the end of it, your well, well where whereabouts in your scholar did you get your your professional contract? Let's talk about like you leading up to get to that professional contract. So yeah, um so I say December time, so like three months, four months into my second year. Um, I was flying. There was talks about clubs interested in me. Um, Blackburn, Derby. Uh, at one point, Liverpool was mentioned, and I think at the moment Liverpool was mentioned. The club sort of to get started to get a bit serious and a bit conscious about an asset they had on their hands. But obviously, Liverpool were in a position to approach me and take me without any money. So they they then put um, offered me a professional deal and. Uh, gave me a two and a half year contract, which was unheard of at that time. I don't think anyone signed a contract that young for that l- amount of time. We can't just brush past that as well. We have to give you your flowers. <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. you, you've been killing it in youth football, um, doing what you needed to do. I remember seeing some of your highlight reels. Um, and what you used to do to some defenders was ridiculous, and um, and and I've seen you do it against men as well. So, like <laughs> you be able to get offered a two and a half year deal at a club in League Two as well. That's that's a very long term deal for such for like lower down the table as well, and yeah, also that being given to you as a scholar first contract. They 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 knew what they was doing. Mm, definitely, definitely. And I want to touch. I want to touch on the numbers as well because I mentioned it previously. So the stats are. I remember the LFE. The LFE came in. So LFE are the League Football Education. I think it stands for um, organization. And they they come in for our, our scholar and talk about just education beyond football, really. And one thing that really stuck with me was the percentages in terms of. Um, people who get scholars and then people who end up playing pro. So I think the stats were 96% of players that get offered a scholarship um, won't get professional contracts. So 4% will. And out of those 4% that get offered a professional contract, it's something like 92 or 93% of those won't be playing in the professional game after 21 and at that time, I was like, rah, what's the point? <laughs> like, so the odds are really against us. And it wasn't until signing pro that I realised how tough it is. Signing pro is one thing, but remaining a pro is another thing. It's difficult. Yeah, the yeah, chances exactly. are slim. I think there's, the a, there's, slim, a, there's a big perception, for, especially for people who are trying to make it pro. They feel like mm. as soon as you get your pro, that's it, you've made it. Like, you can never, it's like, you don't really have to do too much to drop down. Do you know what I'm saying? So, mm. like, mm. you've already, you've obviously lived it and whatever, and you've already just mentioned, I think it's really important that other players or any aspiring footballers, they hear that it's hard work and you have to, like, push yourself to be the best to enable, to kind of maintain um, mm. maintain your position it's not an easy thing I don't want to discourage anyone like obviously all the odds are against you like it literally is but that doesn't mean that you can't make it but 
once you do get your opportunities, you do have to be able to grab them with both hands and you don't let that slip. That's yours and you run with it. Do you know what I mean? So definitely, definitely. I just wanted to add that. No, definitely. And then, yeah, to touch on it. So I signed pro and it was, it was great. It was great. I was on FIFA, um, football manager. <laughs> yeah, my name... My name come up on Sky Sports News because it was actually January Hassan Pro because I remember it was um it might be like the last few days of um transfer that um the transfer window in the January transfer window and it came up lead to Cheltenham Town for young forward Jamal Lawrence signs on a long term deal and I was like rah I've made it I remember looking <laughs> I remember looking at the screen like wow like this is it like I've made it which is probably one of the worst things to feel. Because I'd, I'd say as soon, I'd say as quick as maybe three weeks after that time, my whole footballing journey was spun on its head in terms of so wait, the manager. Let's wait, let's, I just want to like, just a quick, just a little bit more transparency. So you obviously, you signed your deal, it's on Sky Sports. So like, obviously there's a big buzz. What is the buzz that, like, where, where did it take you? So, was were you having to do interviews? Like, who yeah. helped you negotiate this contract? Was there a negotiation, or this is just what we're offering? You have to sign it. It was yeah. So, um, I had agency, like agent. I was with an agency at the time, who kind of sorted out the contracts for me. But it was kind of a case of, here's a contract, sign it. Like you. I guess looking at it now, looking back at it now, I'm an I was an asset to the club, so I could have negotiated a better deal for myself or asked my agents to negotiate a better deal for for myself. But at the time, I was just in a position of maybe gratitude and and just like acceptance of anything. Like I probably would have signed anything at the time, and it was a long term deal. The money was the money on it. The money wasn't great, if I'm honest. Like you think of professional football, you think of what you think you think of Range Rovers and, and stuff like that. But yeah, money was But the perception that... also like let's not let's not forget like obviously it's still League Two. You're not you're not mm. in it with you're not in the Premier League, you're not like Arsenal Rang United where you know players at your at that age would probably be millionaires before they mm. even play any men's football, really. Yeah. So I don't yeah, know, yeah. do you, you wanna be transparent about like how much it was a week or something I don't know it's up to you but like it could help just you know give up a, a transparency in terms of what to expect at that level mm, so yeah I can be transparent so as a youth team player oh I want to say it was it might have been something ridiculous like 130 pound a week okay so that was as a scholar as a scholar and then when I signed pro so my, my pro contract varied in terms of what I got I think I signed early, so for that six month period, I think I was on maybe two fifty a week, and then the next season it would jump up, and then the season after that it would jump up. I can't remember how much it would, how much it went from, but again, two fifty pound a week is not is not a lot. I could have I could have worked full time in Tesco and got paid more. So it's just to put that into into context, really, because it's, it's great. And, I'm adding extra context to that because if you're going to tell someone that they'd rather be in Tesco and earn more money or become a professional footballer, I think people are going to shoot professional football. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's again, it, I'm just, uh, yeah, I was mentioning that in just in terms of monetary value, I guess. But obviously the, the goal is to, to progress from that. And uh, the real, reality is you have one good season and that £250 a week go to £2,500 a week. So it's that yeah, long-term yeah. thinking there. But um, yeah, so where should I go from here? Yeah, so just uh, quicken up then. So I... um. Yeah, for three weeks after signing pro, the manager that gave me the pro contract was sacked. Uh, a new manager came in, um, and yeah, yeah, there was rumors going around that this manager, um, this manager was going to come in and shake things up, and that's what he done. The, the the entire squad was had an overhaul, including a few of the youngsters, and at the end of the season, I was put on a transfer the transfer list. So up up for a transfer, they wouldn't see it rid of me. Um but um yeah, just going through that, go that that three or four month spell where I won from the January I was signed pro on FIFA, all these great things were happening and then near the end of February, like I was scrambling, like the the the, the gaffer the new gaffer came in and, and it was it was dog work. I ended up just Running, didn't really see a football, wasn't part of the the first team setup, um, and yeah, I, I just think about it now. Sometimes I think if if he didn't come in, what would my life look like now? But um, yeah, you can't you can't really think that way. But yeah, going into the summer, then I, I was in a position of I either stay and graft this out and and try and change his perceptions. But he he literally said to me that the the season at the end like end of season talks that. I wasn't in his plans and go find another club really. And I, I kind of took that as a gospel. Like things have happened before with other players. See? Yeah. I was gonna say, so at that point where he's basically saying that the door is there, walk through it. Um mm. were were there any clubs like knocking about with like obviously you mentioned prior that there was your, you know, your is it Blackpool and Liverpool and all these different clubs? Were, was was there still an eye on your situation at all? No. So me signing pro kind of um, kind of took away that interest, which was some, again something that I wasn't aware of. I didn't really understand understand that. But um, yeah, me signing pro kind of took away that interest. And when I did sign pro, I was playing left use team games because I was traveling with the first team still. As part of the first team setup, wasn't on the bench until okay. So I was on the bench, but I didn't feature until the last game of the season where I played against Wickham, and yeah, that that was an experience. It's still good to get on, but it was a bit bittersweet because I kind of knew that I had no future here, even though it, it was my league debut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, and I've been even mentioned that was the season Tottenham got relegated. So throughout that period, it was stress I've never I've still never felt stress like it in terms of being a young player being in that environment even like rondos I couldn't do rondos it got to a stage where if I lose this ball I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get it in the neck like I can't lose it so I just stopped I just stopped wanting the ball and it it, it really impacted me as a player because that confidence that I had growing up just went within like seconds yeah, and it took it took a while. Honestly, it must have took two years 
to, to get that back. And, and that's being serious as well. It must have taken yeah. about two years to get that back. But um, yeah, it's all, it's all, just even just thinking back on it now, because I touched about mental health, that was definitely a period for me where I struggled with, I guess maybe like I'd, there was okay, that two year period um, after being written. Uh, shown the door at Cheltenham, ended up going on loan to Oxford City. Um, had an okay time there. Again, wasn't great. It was my first proper taste of men's football. I kind of went to Oxford City. I had a really good pre-season of them. Um, and I thought, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to start here. And then another guy that was put on the transfer list at Cheltenham came in, in my position, older than me, with more experience, ended up kind of taking my position there. And I was just left to be on the bench, which wasn't great as a young player because you want to be playing and I kind of went to Oxford City. It was two leagues below thinking, yeah, I'm going to play here and kind of get my career back on track, which it didn't. So I ended up leaving Oxford City three months or maybe four. No, it must have been about four months, like November time down the line. And I had enough. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't play football anymore. It wasn't, I lost it. complete enjoyment. Um, mentally, I was in a rough place. I just couldn't get myself out of it. I was in some kind of rut. I just couldn't think about football. I couldn't play it. And my confidence had gone. It was just, it was a peak time. I'm not going to lie. I just didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't know any way out. And my only way out was to remove the thing that was giving me, giving me these stresses and I guess anxiety, I guess. Because, yeah, looking back on it now, I understand, I kind of understand what I was going through. But at the time, I, I was just down in the dumps and I saw, I just didn't see no way out. And I remember speaking feel, to you at the time. I remember. Sorry, I was, I was going to say like, do you feel like there was uh, uh, the like? So, for example, you did have an agent. For example, do you feel yeah. like they maybe the, the agency did enough to be able to support you? Because obviously, they show a lot of interest when it comes to you being in your high and you looking like you're going to progress. But then, it, when you're in these stages, obviously, everything is like. Uh, it's that up and up and down when it comes to football. Now everything's just straight up, right? So you got your, mm -hmm. you got your ups and you got your downs. And like, you know, I feel like your football team has to help you when it goes up. When you're injured, when you're when you're up, you're scoring goals, and when you're injured, they should help you just the same. And like, mm -hmm. um, do you feel like you know you had people around you that that were able to support you during that time? I'd only say family, not in terms of clubs and agency, like you said. When everything was going great and I was signing pro scoring goals, everyone was around me, everyone was buzzing. But when it kind of when it was flipped on its head, um, you you start to become a bit more isolated. And I don't know, I guess one that I'd be well, that would have been my personality and not wanting to reach out. I definitely recommend like people in that situation just to reach out to people because I still still now I would I would be in a I'll be in situations and not reach out to people. I kind of internalize it and deal it deal with it myself but it's, it's definitely not a healthy route to go down so i would one recommend just just talking about your situation more and that will definitely help but again you kind of want those around you that were that were with you on the up kind of supporting you as you're on the down and i didn't get that from either the club or my or my agent or about all the agency at that time so i so now you're in this dark place, right? Mm. And your 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 options are limited. I don't know if you wanna you wanna touch on like basically where you went from there. Like obviously I know you played for 
handful of different clubs are at this point. Are you released from Cheltenham? Mm, so yeah, again, uh, I was in a position where I I, just, I, I was not I can't I couldn't play football anymore. So I went to the manager and said, "I'm I'm done here. I need I need I need a way out." And he said, "Well, you're under contract, and you've got an op- you've got two options: you stay and train and continue to get paid, or you leave and we pay." Part of your contract, and I ended up going for the latter. Um, and that that feeling of just leaving Charlton, I remember driving away from the ground, just feeling with, just so relieved. Like I used to go to training with like knots in my neck, just just thinking about training and how stressful it was going to be, and the team losing every week, manager barking at people. I just couldn't couldn't do that anymore. And that feeling of that stress just was relieved after I had that conversation with the management. Um, yeah, so I was then without a club and I didn't want to play football. The, my thoughts were just to have time out away from the game, which I did. Um, and I thought, OK, I'm I'm getting paid at the moment. I've still got money coming in because the situation was they pay my contract up for a certain amount of months, um, which they did. And it kind of got to a stage after, in the new year at the time, where I thought, right, I need to do something now. I actually need to do something with my time. So I started looking for jobs and it was it was just it was like it was part time jobs. It wasn't anything serious. It was like I was applying for McDonald's and places like that because I just I did need I just needed something to do. And it again I got kind of a reality check in that process as well because I was applying for these places and I was getting rejected. And in my head I was thinking, what? I was a professional footballer. How, how am I getting rejected from McDonald's? Like, how can I not get a job in McDonald's? I was yeah. a I was a pro footballer. Surely yeah. they surely they'd want me, and and that was a reality check, boy. Because yeah, I've, you kind of you kind of you, you as a footballer when you when you reach these stages, you kind of position yourself not above not above people, but you you see yourself within a certain status. You give yourself this status of professional footballer. But people and, also and, give it to and, you and, as well. Yeah, people also give it to you as well. You start to you start to believe that, and it was definitely a reality check that was probably needed just to shape me up and and realize that I'm now entering a different world, the world outside of football, and mm. it's it's different. Mm. So I ended up I ended up getting a part time job at PC World. Uh, I had that for a month, and I'm I could talk about this for ages, but quickly I remember I remember some players that I was playing with like two months ago coming into the, the, the shop and I was like, raw, they can't see me that I'm working here. I remember running to the toilet and staying in the toilet for like 45 minutes until <laughs> until they left and then I came back out. But um, during these times, I had, looking back on it, it was I had like a massive identity crisis. You kind of lose yourself within it and and throughout my, my life, I guess, I was always known as a footballer. And for me not to be that guy anymore, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what. I stood for really. I didn't know. Yeah, I just lost that that feeling of myself, and um, yeah, it took a while to get that back. Uh, I didn't go. I literally isolated myself. Didn't go out. Didn't see no one. Just kept myself to myself and and kept it moving. Really. Um, so I ended up then getting a job at Sainsbury's again. I didn't want to be seen by anyone else, so I got a job within a warehouse where I'd be kind of away from the public, and and that was that was a route for me. It helped me kind of step away from football and I guess focus on something else without having 
the the anxiety of people running into me and being like, "What? How come? How come you're here? Like you were a professional footballer here, girl. What are you doing here?" Um, so I was doing. I was at Sainsbury's for a few months, and then this is probably a year into me leaving Cheltenham, and I was like, "Okay, I'm not. I'm not playing football anymore. I need to find some kind of a career." And I ended up just applying for a whole heap of places, like wherever, wherever. What at the time I thought was a serious job, I was applying for. I remember applying for a job within finance as an apprentice. Um, uh, you, at this point, you're looking at you're looking at apprentice roles and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, this entry level roles. So I was applying for quite three, and I ended up stumbling into a um, a carpentry apprenticeship, which. But I say, yeah, I say this now. It's probably the best thing that happened to me. Um, well, at the time, it, it was again. I thought like I stepped back into my old football experience because the the guys within that firm were very firm, old head, old headed um, guys that would just bark at you constantly every day, day in day out. And it kind of just, it, I guess it woke me up. It made me realise that I'm in a different world and I need to start grafting again. And think of, that. Like, I remember the guy saying to me, the same way you used to put all your time into football, you know how to do this with carpentry. And when he said that, I was like, that's true, but carpentry is not my thing. I don't want to be, I, I, that's not what I want to do. So during that time, I was getting grilled at work, but it also made me think about a plan B. And I remember throughout my, my mom, everyone used to say this to me, what if football doesn't work out? And I used to say, I remember, I remember seeing Otto Chamberlain say it, something like, if um if we ha- I don't have, I don't need a plan B because it distracts from my plan A. <laughs> I used to say that to everyone. And I was then in a position where I was thinking about a plan B. And my plan B at the time when I was at Carpentry was um a football label. Well, I guess it didn't start after the football label. I I saw the likes of Reese Vara start his own clothing label. And I thought, yeah, that's quite cool. I'm quite into fashion, but why can't I do something similar? But I didn't want to do clothes because that was quite generic at the time. I wanted to do something different, which led me to footwear. And I was using the money that I had that I had saved up from Cheltenham, as well as the money I was earning as an apprentice. And um, that money then went towards starting my own footwear label, which is where I guess my social media career kick-started without me realising in terms of growing a page, using ads, um, community management, um, and then the other side of it, which is the finance route, um, logistics, sourcing, um, sampling. So so I just want to touch on something really quickly. Again, another huge accomplishment that you've just mentioned there, and you kind of just brushed past it a little bit. You working as a carpenter, you would say arguably is probably one of your lowest points of your of your life. At that time, how old were you? Nineteen. Like, Nineteen, right? 19, most, 19. People, most people are just out partying and doing uni and stuff, right? So obviously mm-hmm. you're getting into real life really quickly after just a major high, maybe 18 months prior. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, or maybe the audience want to know is how did you go from that where did the motivation come from to go out and create a shoe like you have created a shoe I just remember personally obviously I've seen months of sketches 
uh, months of like um, prototypes. Ah, oh, this looks terrible. You know, all these different things mm. to finally launching. You launch this. You launch mm. your own shoot. You're just a boy from Gloucester, mm. by the way. You mm. launch your own shoot. Do you know anyone else who's launched a shoot? Nah, it's mad. It's mad thinking about that. Yeah, it's mad. So, your flowers need it to be given mad. to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So that's a big achievement. I guess, yeah, where did my motivation come from? I guess being, okay, so to think back, being a footballer kind of gave me that status. And when I wasn't, when I no longer played football, that status was taken away from me. I was known as the footballer and then I was no longer known as that. And I kind of wanted that that back. I wanted to be known for something different rather than just a carpenter or just a standard way of life. I wanted something different for myself. So I saw that sort of like some do do Manet de Bois and I wanted to kind of emulate that. So I thought footwear. And like you said, it was a graph getting that off the ground. Yeah, it's probably took me about 18 months, if not two years, to get to be in a position to launch it. Samples hit to and fro. Um sketches again, one I can't draw. So that that was that again another issue, which is why it took so long. And then I start. I came across Fiverr, and I realized that I don't actually need to draw. I can do the rough outlines, and I can pay someone to to do a digital CAD that can I can then send to a manufacturer that can then make me samples. And it's a longer process, but I had to find a way, and that way ended up working for me. So again, I must have had seven samples, I think, in terms of, and then I had my final design, which all in all took a year, eighteen months, I think. And then I was yeah ready to launch, but yeah during this time still a, still a carpenter, still crafting. Um, the house we were working on was nearly complete, which kind of says a lot about how long I was doing this for. Um, and yeah, and then I uh, I was going for like with my with my trainer label, which again again was another tough experience, kind of understanding how much work is needed to run your own company and keep it afloat and I was running at a loss for all passing for all the drink the whole time. Like I wasn't getting enough money in in terms of sales, but I was trying to keep up with the demand of um seasonal demand, I guess, in terms of new season drops and keeping up with trends. I remember quite naively thinking, okay, here's my first batch of trainers. I had two colorways. I'm thinking, oh, yes, I can breathe now without thinking, bro, there's another season dropping in four or five months. I've got to keep up with that. And it's kind of, yeah, it's being in fashion now. It's a, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot for one person to do. And at that time, I kind of thought, I just want to be known for this. I don't need a team around me. I I can do it all myself. But really, I should have branched off and said, okay, I need help here. Who can, who can jump on board? But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a learning curve. The great thing about that, though, is that obviously being so young, you've been exposed to, like, all that you've been exposed to in terms of building a business. You, like you said, you had to run ads. Um, I do remember you mentioning Gary V a lot. He probably was a big contributing factor in terms of getting you to do things as well. Like, And um, that exposure at such a young age is, is great. And as much as you probably wanted the shoe company to be a great success, that probably led you on to your next opportunity 
um, which mm. you, you again you took with both hands. So uh, you 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 moved into a a marketing agency. Um, yeah, shout. Back, mm. but, I was going to just say shout out to Gary V as well. Gary V, um, Wes Wes Brown, and uh, what's the guy's Brown name? Or Les Brown? No. Les Brown, sorry, Les Brown. <laughs> Les Brown. <laughs> Les Brown and what? Oh, what's the game? What's the name? Gobbins. 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 I've got his name. Uh, Tony Robbins. No, Gobbins. Oh, there's a, another guy. Oh, I can't remember his name. But yeah, but without these motivational speakers and these um, gurus, I guess, they got me through the time. But um, yeah, going, going fast forward now in terms of my time at my digital agency, it was my first proper job, I guess at a uh, first full-time um, job and I would I was given an opportunity based on what I'd done for Estrada which I never I never thought would be the case I didn't think what I was doing with Estrada would warrant me getting a job within an agency or with, with within another brand to be honest but um it did and I was kind of I was kind of surprised by it but again I just was open to it and Kind of just took, just, just guess, just ran with the punches, I guess, and started the job. At first, I was, it was, I was definitely out of my comfort zones. I was used to one being outside, not used to being in an office, stuck in an office for from nine, nine till six. I think that's my um working hours were at the time. I wasn't just wasn't used to that. Um, and then two, getting on with colleagues again. These are very simple like skills, I guess. But because I was in different working environments in terms of football and carpentry, I wasn't used to that interacting in that type of way, which again I struggled with because I didn't know how I should, I guess, behave. One, I didn't know how to be myself around them, which was mm. which probably people could tell because I was quite quite distant, I guess, but. It, it kind of helped. It worked to my benefit because I was able to just crack on with my job and 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 progress, I guess, and 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 learn as I as I went on, which helped. Um, yeah. So whilst I was at the agency, I worked with a few big brands, um, leading Chinese sole supplier, um, in the world, which is crazy because the numbers they do is insane, and and the budgets I then had to look after in terms of social budgets was was hefty, and then that is where I kind of learnt my trade, I guess, in terms of social, um, diving into ads, the organic side as well, um, speaking with clients, reporting. Um, and I kind of, I was kind of like, like my man, one of the managers I had at the carpentry apprenticeship said, I needed to kind of change my focus from living, breathing football to something else. I then done that with social media and, and the ad side which worked to my benefit because I was able to develop. And then uh, two, I was working there for two years and then I was approached by Superdry, which I, I, I made a leap and I, I was back in the fashion world, which which I loved and I've always loved. And, and to think every, at every position I've been in uh, within marketing, I've always got, I've, I've always got the job um, because of what I've done with Estrada. So yeah. even though the amount of money I've I, I, I spent and lost with Estrada, 
um, and the difficulty of accepting that the, the business isn't going to work and the, the feelings around that, I still ended up, it still ended up being a positive because I was able to get a job and then get a job within an agency and then getting a job with a, a, a global brand purely because of what I'd done with Estrada and, and the entrepreneurial mindset I had at the time. So even though I didn't do well with the business, the business still done well for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds like what it's done is that although it might not have made you money then, it's made you like, you probably recuperated, recuperated much more in the future because of that experience that has happened. And Definitely. I think... I think personally from what I'm hearing from the story, which is in, it's an incredible story because you've been able to dig deep to get yourself out of this situation and you've created your own opportunity. You didn't expect this opportunity to happen, but you didn't just sit around doing nothing. You tried something that you were interested in and that something led you to, to other doors. And I think that's a really important thing because sometimes people just expect things to just happen for them and they're not really putting out any effort into anything. But mm -hmm. you, you know, working a job that you didn't like, getting barked at every day, still coming home and working on a different passion of yours. And then that was the passion that led you into social media. That was your way out. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that a lot of people need to hear that. Like a lot of people need to understand that you need to do something in order to get something. You can't yeah, put out definitely. you can't put out an energy that is a low energy. You're just gonna get a low energy back. If you want something to come back full circle, you really have to put some work in. And um mm. I guess that's it's kind of like obvious advice. I'm no guru or anything like that, but you're you're a prime example of that. You know, you put the work in, right? And you have to do it on something that was outside of football and now you've gone full circle you worked for an, a digital marketing agency and then your next step was into fashion which you've always kind of been interested in outside of football like maybe not as big as football as you were but it was always kind of there like lingering and then now mm -hmm. and then you obviously you started the trainers and then you go back into fashion again, you're back into the seasons and then you're now mm -hmm. doing, you know, different festivals that marketing can take you to so many different places. And that's probably a, another discussion on a different, uh, on a different episode, just like where marketing can take you because marketing can, can take you to very, very different places. And it's such a big landscape. There's so much things that go on in marketing as a whole and, and in, in, in digital marketing, but your mm, journey your journey into 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 social media marketing is a very unique one, and I think that um, if any if you have any like in job interviews and you share this story alone, there is no way that this story is not going to be able to trigger like a, a, a an an, a, an emotional uh, I guess response. Um, it's going to trigger a lot of people and it will be very hard to be able to not give you the job because you've really gone through the untraditional like route into social media. You haven't got a degree. You haven't got, um, you, yeah, yeah, obviously you haven't been to university. Um, most of your life has been based around football and that was your main thing. 
to now where you're just killing it at social media. You now got your got your own social media podcast. You're being recognised for the work that you're done you're doing now, and it's not in football anymore, and it's now in social media. You know mm-hmm. where others get lost. You know some others get lost. Some people, and as you probably know, they will stay at Sainsbury's and get lost. They just stay there. They're just comfortable mm-hmm. in 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 that lifestyle not to say that same reason is bad or anything like that obviously if you want to be there then you want to be there but if you if you don't want to be there and you're just staying there the decision is yours it's not it's nobody else's the decision is 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 for you to somehow work on yourself to get yourself out of that situation you know mm-hmm. and that's nobody else's responsibility but your own so, no, definitely, definitely, and it's not, it's not, it's not an easy transition. I know a lot of players that have gone through the same transition and and have struggled and and are still struggling. But um, it's just about persistence, I think, and and sticking true to yourself and not getting sidetracked on 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 long on the long term goal and trying to make long term decisions rather yeah. than short term ones. Because a lot of, if I'm honest, a lot of footballers get used to the money they're living and when football doesn't work for them they go after the quick buck which might not always be legal and then it's just yeah being aware of that and knowing that you've got more options than going down that and another route that might not be the best route for you yeah yeah and i think like speaking to any young aspiring footballers out there at the moment if you are listening to this podcast on the off chance like I just want you to understand that there is a life outside of football. And um, obviously, whilst you're in football, you do want your focus to be like, on football. But now with the birth of social media, you're seeing a lot of players talking about um, kind of having something else to go to just to give them a a different outside, like a different view on life. Because football... Can be your, your life and take it over, take over your life. But you know, they, they, football comes to an end. You know, and uh, I'm not going to tell you like focus on the plan B or anything like that. I feel like for you, Jam. My my opinion is you focus on plan A, and plan A didn't work, and then you had a new plan A. That to me is not, mm-hmm. you know, plan plan B or whatever. Um, mm. So it is still very much plan A, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and then you go on and you have a new plan A. And I think that mm-hmm. you should never be too afraid to 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 focus on on your plan A. You know, I think part of being a man is being able to live on your edge, live on that edge. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I'm gonna make rent this month. You know, but mm-hmm. the end of it, it's end of it is worth it. If, if you're just going to sit in that comfortable job and never get pushed to your edge, you do, you're you not going to find your growth. You're not going to grow um, into the place you need to be. You need to really be pushed. Otherwise, yeah, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no growth and comfortability. So yeah, the, phrase, the phrase pressure makes diamonds is so true. So true. I've, I've even forgot to mention, we, I found out that I was expecting a little boy um, but I found out what my partner was pregnant whilst I was trying to push Estrada forward, and that that kind of maybe like go into another gear and and just make things work. 
Mm-hmm. I remember my the, my partner's family putting pressure on me about obviously looking after the little one and like maintaining how how I support them and my my income at the moment wasn't um, at that moment in time wasn't regular because I was trying to focus on the business and and all of that. But yeah, fresh like you said, living on that edge can can push you to places you've you've never been before, and you start to see a different different side of you in terms of willingness to to make things happen yeah yeah and I, you know what that's also another episode you know like you just mentioning becoming a dad and then what that does to you i could see that mm. being a, a, a good one you know you know being a dad definitely, and, definitely. Um, um especially being a young dad as well uh mm. what that does and uh, you know, a lot of people say it. I've spoken to many dads and they're like, you know, I go into a second gear. This is me. Like, I don't focus on anything. Why am I going out? Why am I, you know, doing this or whatever? Like, you have mm. someone else that relies on you for everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think this was, this has been a, an amazing chat. It's been amazing to uncover your story. I still feel like there's missing pots and stuff, but like, you know what? You've done a great job, and like your your career so far is an amazing story. And then I don't see it going anywhere else but up. You know, I mean, obviously you're gonna have your ups and downs, but the right attitude, mentality, it's it's all kind of like, or like it's all what's it called? It's all aligned at the moment. And like mm. you're gonna push into the right direction. Obviously, I know about some of your other business business ventures that you've done as well, and that you're currently trying to do as well. And even your partner's business as well. Like you're a key figure in that as well. And like mm. um, there's there's so much more success around around your story after football um, that defines you better than probably football has ever defined you. So you know that's well put. Your flowers are there, man. Your flowers are there. So yeah, man. If, if I could just press the applaud button on here, I don't know if there was one. Yeah. I need a, I need a sound button. Um, yeah. But yeah, like flowers are there. Like you know, thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, it's been a blessing. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Should we should we wrap it up there? Actually, before we do, quick social media update before I forget. Yeah, we forget. Yeah, we forgot about it. Yeah, let's get them in. Let's get them in. <laughs> quick social media update so i would actually only one update there's not been much been going on this week to be fair so uh snapchat they've launched their new lenses um within the app which teaches users to uh i guess use sign language uh as a part of international week of the deaf the new lenses kind of aim to help maximize inclusion uh, whilst obviously raising awareness about sign language. You know what? Sign language is really, really important. Um, I'm trying to teach my son sign language. Uh, I know a lot of doctors are learning sign language. I want to learn like, sign language. Uh, I think it's a, 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 a great other way of communication. And I do a lot with my hands. And I think that uh, if I could actually add like a language that would go alongside what I like all my hand expressions, I thought that'd be quite cool. Mm. So, um, no, yeah, big up, definitely. Big up the sign language. Uh, and it's a good move from Snapchat. I think it's a, a quite a unique move as well from Snapchat. So, uh, yeah, yeah. They're, going, they're going above and beyond there. Yeah. yeah a lot good. of companies definitely acknowledge 
um, awareness days in that in that way. So yeah, yeah, congratulations to them. Yeah, man, big them up, big them up. So that's a wrap from us, the Social Living Podcast. You can listen to us on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or and um, Spotify, RSS, all the listening audio platforms. You can just hear us on that. And uh, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. We are everywhere, man. Peace out. We out.